Welcome back, friends, to the Mark Claire Show. It's Monday. It means you got a new episode with me, your pal Mark Claire. And it also means I'm drinking some coffee. That's right, some fine, amazing dark roast for my friends at Fox and Sons Coffee. Hitting you right with the ad right away, but that just means we get into the content faster. But Fox and Sons, I literally, no joke. Ah, you might even be able to see the steam because this just this literally it was just boiled. Boiled? Is that what you say? Cooked? What do you say? Roast? What do you what do you do with coffee? I made coffee. All right. That's what I did. I made this coffee. It's incredible. It gets my my day going every single day, and especially when I'm about to sit down and record for you, which I usually do on Sunday mornings right before I drop this episode to you on Mondays. Um, don't forget to go over to Fox and Sons, F-O-X-N-S-O-N-S.com. I will link to this in the show notes for today's episode, which you'll find anywhere and everywhere you find the show. Of course, the show is available on all podcast platforms, basically all video platforms, uh, YouTube, Odyssey. I'm on Rumble now. Uh, what else? BitChute. I'm just everywhere. I, I cast a wide net. You find me in whatever way is most amenable to yourself. Uh, but don't forget to use, by the way, I got to flip, you know, I'm not a professional here, guys. I don't know if you know this. I've been doing this almost 10 years. I never know what I'm doing. I'm just flapping my gums. All right. So I got to go back to the ad. Don't forget to use your discount code MCS Mark Claire show discount code MCS for 15% off your order. And uh, you're going to want to use it because this stuff is freaking awesome. All right. So foxandsons.com helping support this great sponsor of our show helps support me, helps support him, helps support all of us, this whole community that we're building here at the Mark Claire Show. That being said, it is time to get into my interview today with a guy who's, I, I probably first read his book maybe 20 years ago. I hope they serve beer in hell. He's written several books since then. Uh, he's also a much different person since then, as you're going to hear today. I'm really excited to bring you my interview with Tucker Max. Welcome back to the Mark Claire Show. With me today, he is the author of several books, including one that, if you're my age, there's a decent chance that you read in your degenerate 20s uh, called I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell. He is now a husband, a father of four, a Texas rancher. Uh, it's been quite a journey for my guest today. He's also the host of the Tucker Max Experiences. I'm very pleased to welcome Tucker Max. Welcome to my show. Thanks, Mark. All right. Well, Tucker, there's a lot of places we could start with you. I think um, at least a lot of people like me. I mean, when I was in my 20s, your book was just making the rounds and it really connected on on levels uh, for people at my age that were maybe experiencing a small portion of what you were kind of laying out of uh, the stories you were laying out in your books. But I kind of want to start a little bit earlier that I'm, I'm kind of curious what Tucker Max was like, what you were like, even before your sort of college days when, you know, you had all the drinking and sex stories involved. What were you like growing up? Um, were you, you know, were you, <laughs> did you have that sort of degenerate streak in you in some way when you were younger? Um, maybe take it from there, wherever you like. You know, not really, man. It's kind of funny. Like, uh, I, I was in a usual kid in high school because I was um, smart, but not a nerd, um, played sports, but not like an athlete, you know, in this, the high school sense, right? Uh, like not a jock or uh, a meathead. Um, uh, you know, I was in the, uh, the, all the smart kid classes that like, I wasn't, I didn't belong to any of the groups, but I wasn't even, I wasn't like an outsider either, right? I wasn't some lone wolf kind of uh, person. And so, um, I didn't actually party that much in high school. I also went to boarding school for two years, which there's definitely some boarding schools that, that you can party a lot at. And there were some kids that, where I went to Blair Academy, there were some in my school who did, I was not one of those. Um, and so, um, so like, and then I went to the University of Chicago for undergrad, which is, um, you know, one of the best academic schools in the country, uh, but not where you go if you want to party. <laughs> 
it's just not. And it's so like, so it's kind of why a lot of my stories were crazy is because I had all of the stuff that a lot of people get out in high school and college. I didn't really start getting out until law school. Like getting out of your um, system, you mean? Right, right. And um, law school and right after law school, when like I was older, wiser, had more money, um, uh, but still young and foolish, uh, you know, so like I had a good combination of stuff. So do you think that that played into like how extreme a lot of your stories and, and that kind of thing get? Because a, you didn't really, again, like you kind of said, you hadn't really built that stuff up uh, or maybe you had built it up, I guess, inside you a lot more that, that urge, that sort of primal urge that, that I think kind of lives within all of us. It's just a matter of where we direct it, uh, what we do with it. Um, but also like, unlike many people that start in college, maybe you weren't completely flat broke, which which helps because you can actually get out and spend some money to increase your, you know, whatever you're doing. Right. And, and then I also wasn't, you know, when you're in high school and college, your dating pool is the people who go to school with in law school, you know, like I, I there was, I, there were like two hot girls in my law school um, and neither of them were to me. <laughs> so, so like, uh, you know, you venture out very quickly and you have like, you know, more bar nightlife stories as opposed to, most people's really cool, cool uh, college high school stories, um, uh, unless they went to a huge state school, are are nothing more than like uh, like daytime soaps drama stuff. Like they're they're really funny and interesting to them because they're all enmeshed in the drama. Them and like twenty people or fifty people, whatever their immediate social circle is. Whereas like I was much more of like out in out in the real world, so to speak. You know, and so, right. I had, I had a, it was an unusual combination. They ended up working pretty well for me. I'm curious. Cause I, I mean, if you just read the stories from, from those early books, you would almost think this person couldn't possibly also be functioning in society as well during the day. Um, it, was it as constant, I guess, as, as you would think if you're just taking out all the stories or were the stories, Come on, man, yeah. like, and, then, and then you go out in the real world and you realize, oh, wow, there are people who do this every night. Right. <laughs> like, there's a lot of people. There's a shocking number of extremely high functioning alcoholics in the world. Like, like I was not in any way, shape or form an alcoholic. Like I was a classic social drinker. Like if I wasn't out like partying with friends, like I didn't even think I had beer in my fridge ever. You know, like mm-hmm. alcohol was only a means to an end for me. It was there was no. Uh, so like, um, I mean, I, I was, there was that in law school, I was probably going out three nights a week and then like post law school to, uh, you know, whatever the next five years or so. So like 26 to 31 or 27 to 32, I was going out yeah four to five nights a week. Um, which is honestly not, I mean, dude, like uh, most guys in their twenties and women have at least a, a phase of that, right. Oh, yeah. Where you're four to five to six nights a week. So much so that it's not even a fit. It's you can't even break right. them up it's into nights at some point. It's just like, this is, yeah. uh, this is what we're doing. All right, let's go. Exactly. Yeah. So I, bro, the only, I always tell people, the only thing that was really different with me and most people is that I wrote down my story. Almost like a dream where you have to write it down to remember it. Yeah. And, and I'll admit on, on the, the scale of sort of craziness, I was towards the, the, the end of crazy but bro, I mean, I I have friends who have way crazier stories than me, and there's a, like a large percentage of people who come out to my events like, oh, you know, your best story is like an average Tuesday night for me, and I'm like, okay, but I'm on stage and rich, and you're not, so like you <laughs> might have better stories, but you didn't write them down in a good way, and I did, and that that I think that that's a huge reason why 
at least at the beginning, my stuff took off and was so popular is because it, it, uh, a lot of people were like, oh, that's just like me and my friends. I'll tell, I did not, honestly, it's true, Mark. I did not expect how many people would read my stuff as aspiration. <laughs> if you think about it, it makes sense. Like, I just, I was stupid. I had never dealt with fame or anything like that. So mm-hmm. I just didn't understand. I thought everyone was doing what I was doing because that's what you think before you deal with any sort of fame or notoriety. But like, it just didn't occur to me that like 16 year olds or 18 year olds or 22 year olds read my stuff and be like, this is so amazing. I want to be like this guy and go do these crazy things. Like, which makes sense. I the same. I would have done the same thing if I read it when I was 17, right? I just didn't think that way because I was 25 and dumb, you know, like, what do I know? When did you first get the idea to start writing down these crazy stories? Um, like, cause I mean, some of your stories that you can read them like a minute by a minute breakdown. So it seems like you were really like taking meticulous notes, even as you went. Uh, I'm just curious why you decided to start doing that in the first place. Yeah, um, I wrote them down because after law school, uh, me and there was like me and about eight dudes who hung out together in law school, and we like jokingly called ourselves a frater- like the law school fraternity, because um, it was like all the big state school dudes, and then me who went to the university. Oh, there's another guy who went to Yale. It was a Yale dude and a Chicago guy, and then there were five like yeah, guys who went to like UVA in Kansas and like Arizona State and like the iconic party schools, and so we all hung out together and had a blast. And um, then we all went our separate ways at the end of law school. And I was living in Florida working for my, my family, uh, my dad, my, my family business. And um, I hated it. And South Florida, like I didn't, I don't do drugs and I'm not old. And so especially 20 years ago in <laughs> South Florida, much if, you weren't, if you weren't on blow or 75 and Jewish, there was nothing for you <laughs> in South Florida. And it sucks for me. And so like, um, uh, I, you know, I like would just, I, of course I would go out anyway and get drunk anyway and bury my pain and anguish, uh, in alcohol and then hook up with some, uh, skank. Uh, and then like, uh, uh, I would just write stories about it. Like I read emails to my friends, like, Oh, like it, that was our game for a couple of years after law school is who can write the funniest email about the dumbest shit they did. And my friends were lawyers. So they had to build like you know, 12 hours a day to stay at their law firm. Right. And I'm like, I worked at a restaurant, like, like my life was drinking and partying. So it was, uh, it was easy for me to find excuses and places to be foolish and reckless, you know? And then when did you get the idea to, to take that and put, actually publish some of those stories? Was it kind of like the reactions you were getting from, from your sort of inner circle? And you said, somebody, did somebody like bring that up and say, Hey man, why don't I just like put these in the book or something? No, not really. It, it like almost every success in my life is a result of me stumbling ass backwards into something. And that, that writing was the same way. So what ended up happening was, um, I got fired. Well, I got fired from being a lawyer. This is a while before. And so I, Legal in, in a very public way. So legal profession. That story is actually in my first book, and uh, that uh, that avenue was closed off. Can, can you give like a, a, a maybe a, the Cliff Notes recap of that one for? Uh... Yeah, so I, I right. I, I got I got very drunk at a law firm event, and like and actually no. Well, I got really drunk at a law firm event, and like uh, like took the mic from the there was like a charity auction. I took the mic from the auctioneer and did all kinds of. That actually wasn't that bad. The big thing. That was that like one of the senior female partners at the firm propositioned me and I I did the worst possible thing. I turned her down and then I told everyone about it. Uh, So you're actually the victim here. (laughs) No, I'm not. I'm I'm not. I I have not bought into woke ideology uh, (laughs) uh, or victim mindset. So um, uh, I am. uh, No, 
I was, it, which it really makes no sense because I'd slept with older and uglier women than her. I have no idea why I said no. Um, and if I just shut up, either if I'd slept with her, I could have done anything I wanted. If I had shut up, I'd be fine. But, uh, you know, I'm an idiot. So especially then. So uh, I got fired from from that firm. And then, um, uh, <laughs> then I went to work for my dad and the family business. And my dad fired me. Uh, it took uh, six months for my dad to fire me, whereas only three weeks at the law firm. So, um, so, uh, after I would been fired from like the two things that I trained for one of my buddies, the one who went to Yale actually was like, Hey, listen, man, like, you know, you're not good at law and business, but these emails you're writing are the funniest things I've ever <laughs> read. You should, you should be a writer. And I was like, what am I a bitch? I'm going to be a writer. Like what kind of, like what kind of, uh, ridiculous, uh, uh, you know, bitch do you think I am? Cause I'm not. And he's like, well, you know, obviously you're a writer, bitch. <laughs> what, am I like, going to go sit now, at the coffee shop? And, you know, right, like- exactly. Now, that was definitely, I, I, I was, I came from the mindset of like the, you know, master of the universe. Like, uh, you know, I got recruited by Goldman and McKinsey. Like, I, I was very close to becoming one of the horrible, I'd probably be working at BlackRock right now. <laughs> you know, buying, uh, you know, neighborhoods from people and kicking out poor kids and horrible shit like that. Like, I'd be the worst um, if I'd gone down that path. Thankfully, I didn't. And so anyway, so uh, my buddy's like, listen, these emails are hilarious. And at the same time, that was finally when uh, I started getting my emails forwarded back to me. And I'm like, okay, maybe they are. Maybe he's right. Maybe these are funny. Let me just see if I can get a book. Published. Like they were getting passed so, along so much that they, someone eventually right, remember email forwards. Yeah. Right. Are you old enough to remember? I, email I forwards? Okay. All right. So, so like I was at the beginning of the, uh, you know, like this was whatever it was, 2000, 2001. This is pre social media. Um, so I sent out my stuff to every publishing company in the country. Uh, and that, at that point there were a lot, this is, you know, obviously 25 years ago ish. And, um, uh, I got a hundred percent rejection. And I'm not, I'm not being, I mean, literal in the actual definition of the word literal. Um, in fact, you know, 90% ignoring 10% uh, or 9% form letters, rejection. And then like, uh, maybe not 1%, but I got four or five, like actual personalized rejection letters that were like, you know, you should never type an email again. This is the worst thing I've ever read. You know, you should be in jail. <laughs> like, like real rejections like that. They were, I actually thought were funny. At the time, and they still are funny. You could do a book uh, just of your rejections, in, especially in light of what just happened, right? Or what happened with the books. Anyway, so um, I ended up putting my stuff on the internet. Like this was o one or o two, o two, and so like I, you know, I went on GeoCities, and if you remember GeoCities, <laughs> yeah, and like I, I, I you know, put a site, and it blew up. Like it took a few months, but it like kind of got a ton of attention and blew up. And then like MTV filmed the. This is back when like it was super weird to meet people on the internet. And I had like a date application page and MTV filmed the whole thing about me. And so all the publishers came back and then that ended up becoming, I hope they served beer in hell and then went from there. Wow. So when, when that started taking off, like at what point along that did you realize like, okay, I'm not just like selling a few books here. I'm actually like almost in a, in a strange way, even forming a a strange, a weird, like degenerate movement almost centered around me as a personality. When did you, that sort of start to click for you a little bit? Probably not until, well, you know, the book was on the bestseller list. It launched, uh, it was two consecutive weeks in the bestseller list. That was just off my email list and then went off and then it like bottomed out at about 800 books a week sold. And then it started taking off again. And by like, uh, May of 07, it went on in January of 06, May of 07, it went back on the list. 
and then it stayed on every single week. I, I'm pretty sure it was consecutive um, for the next five years. Um, and, and then even after it went off a week or two, it was like on intermittently for at least six calendar years. And so like, I'm not sure the moment I knew, you know, here's the thing, man. I, I wish I could say, oh yeah, I started a movement. I don't think I did. I think I captured the, a certain type of zeitgeist for a movement that was already existing. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is like a very different thing. Like it, yeah. it'd be cool to be like, oh, everyone's following me. Eh, I don't think that was what happened. It was more like a lot of us are experiencing this. You've put it out there and, and we say, oh, we've yeah. we've been through a version of this, even if it's maybe not as wild and crazy. Exactly. Right. Exactly. That, that was I had the, the right message at the right time and it caught fire and it went. And um, I don't know, man, when I it, you know, the weird, this is going to sound weird, man. I, I I was never shocked by any of the success of it. Maybe that might just be because I was so emotionally dissociated and not paying attention or whatever. But like there was no aspect that I've always been one of those weirdos who've always kind of known I was going to succeed. Um, and not at this necessarily. But like once I started, I realized, OK, this is going to be big. And like it almost it's almost sad in a way. To, it almost felt preordained. And um, uh, which sucks in a way because I, I almost didn't enjoy it. You know, like every bit of success, I almost felt like not I was owed, but like I like I it's like I knew it was going to happen before it happened. And so when it happened, it was like, you know, you know, it's like if you find 20 bucks in your pocket, it's like it's like way more valuable than your work for 20 dollars. It was the same thing for none of it was found. Like I knew I did the work for it. I knew it was coming and it came. And um, and I was just kind of like, yeah, it, it, it sounds so arrogant and preposterous. But, bro, I can remember like speaking at colleges in front of like. 1500 2000 people and being like yeah this is how it should be of course <laughs> i know it sounds crazy dude it does it was never really a shock to me maybe a couple times like random things would happen like some celebrity the first time you meet a famous person who knows who you are and loves your stuff and that's not happened before but like it's not you know other than that there's like very little when was the first time that that you can recall that happened <sighs> well the first time i remember um it, i don't think this was the first time but the first time i remember was um like it, it was in hollywood and it was uh i was at a like the one of the famous hollywood poker games and it was like i got i went to la for something and a buddy of mine invited me to that and um shannon elizabeth you remember shannon elizabeth from american I sure pie do. <laughs> oh yeah every dude does so this was like when she was kind of at her peak there's maybe four or five years or whatever after american pie and uh she had read my books and loved them wow and was there and uh, she, she had a boyfriend or what? It's not like she was hitting on me. I wish like that would be amazing. Um, and dude, I will tell you straight up for two things, two weird things. Uh, she is so beautiful in person. No, it's like if you spend any time around the famous, most famous people are not uh, touching go, as good yeah. looking in person. Yeah, she is stunning. She's even better looking. She's almost like ethereal. She's so pretty in person. Like she's like she's, she's some angel, not a human. Um, but then also uh, she's a badass poker player, dude. Like she's good. Like she, you can't fuck with her at poker. Like she's she's really good at poker. Um, I didn't I didn't get to know her anything. Like it's not like we went out or anything like that. But it was just like I was like, man, what universe am I in now? Like I've yeah. thought about fucking you for you, right? Right. It was there. Like uh, it was very much like I was like I've I've definitely thought about hooking up with you a lot. <laughs> like and the fact that you read my stuff and liked it, that's amazing. <laughs> but then you get used to that too, and it's like not. I'm, you know, then it becomes like whatever. 
So at, at what point along the way here? I mean, you're you've you've got a couple follow ups to uh, to I hope they serve beer in hell. You're you know you're hanging out with Shannon Elizabeth at a poker tournaments. I I, I gotta imagine. You're, you start to get pretty big in the head in, in some way, or just you start to feel invulnerable, something arrogant like that. Is the arrogant, right word, yes. sure. Um, Very arrogant. Yes. Yeah, I mean, someone just says something nice to me, and I get arrogant. So I can't imagine, you know, if you're selling all these books and you know, meeting famous people who've, who've read your books. At, 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 is there any point along the way? Obviously, there is a point between now and you cur- where you currently are in life. But um, during that period of, of higher fame and, and when you you know had all this money and success pouring in, is there any point in there where you had some pause and said like, what? does this actually have meaning to me? Like it w- was this fulfilling something for you or was it just like another level of degeneracy where, yeah, it's, it's fun and it's, it's fulfilling material things, but maybe there's something else missing. Yeah. Dude, listen, when you're broke and poor, which is, I guess the same thing when you're poor, broke, anonymous, uh, lonely, uh, what that sucks. And then you get some sort of notoriety and money and it's like, that's way better than being poor and anonymous. Like, I, I'm not going to pretend it's not. But it's like my thought was when I was a poor, broke nobody that like once I got rich and famous, all my problems would be solved. And like it was way better, but like maybe 10 or 20 percent better. Whereas I thought like I'd go from all these problems to no problems or like easy problems, you know, like, the, like oh, these are the problems I want to have. Which Ferrari do I drive today or whatever? Right. <laughs> I never had a problems. Ferrari, but like, yeah, right. Uh, like, um, and uh, man, it, it took me a long time to realize, uh, and it was a painful realization that like fame doesn't solve any problems. It usually makes stuff worse. Money doesn't solve any problems. It doesn't, it, I, I'm not one of those. Money makes everything worse. No, it doesn't. Like money solves a lot of problems, but it doesn't make anything much better. Like it, it doesn't. It, 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 there's very little that it actually solves, right? Um, uh, uh, and then um, all the other stuff, man. Like it was. It was a long journey to realize that like none of this stuff's going to make me happy or content or any of that stuff. Uh, that like that going to have to come from inside. That was probably. Man, that was a good seven, eight years of pouring alcohol, money, fame, women into the hole of my soul, and none of them filled it up, dude. Oh, yeah, <laughs> this thing's got to get full eventually if I just put enough crap in here, right? Right. Yeah, no, I wish. It does not. It's not how it works, yeah, unfortunately. It doesn't, it doesn't work. Well, crap in, crap out. You know, it's, it's all got to come out one way or the other. So um, along those lines, and maybe you can, you kind of mentioned this earlier that you, you started to get people, or maybe you started to realize that there's like 16, 17 year olds, not just reading your books and enjoying them, but almost like looking up to, to that and aspiring yeah. to like have some of these stories. Um, is there a point in there where you started to feel like a responsibility, almost like, like, am, am I setting the right example? Do I want 16 year olds really imitating this maybe they can be enjoying it but should they really be aspiring to, to live that way is there any point along this line that you started to, to think that way no <laughs> i mean no for real um because look look so you keep using the word degenerate right which yeah, i get that's you my are. word yeah I, that that it's, it's my word to describe how i how i saw myself around that time so that that's yeah that's where it so, comes from right so I, I wrote about this in one of my books. I can't remember which one or what story, but I wrote about how there's like kind of two kinds of party guys. There's the Coke and hookers guys. And then there's the beer, uh, cold beer and hot girls guys. Mm. 
And I always, I was always a hot, cold beer and hot girls guy. Like I, I never used Coke. I like, I've never been to a prostitute. I mean, not a paid prostitute. I've hooked up with girls who turned out to be escorts or other sorts of <laughs> service workers, but I, I wasn't going to them as a client. Um, and, uh, um, like my whole argument was basically boiled down to that. Like one's very dark and one, one's, you know, much, much lighter. Right. Uh, like, I think both have their issues. One is like a natural part of a, maybe a somewhat healthy growth process, whereas the other can lead you to a, a very a, a darker path. Right. Exactly. And and it's very just the Coke and hookers guys tend to be very, at least intentionally destructive. Mm. The, you know, the cold beer and hot guy, uh, hot girls guys um, uh, uh, are not usually at least intentionally destructive. Right. And that was me, man. Like I always party partying and, and, and all this stuff was done. It was fun for me. Like I did it from a place of fun and enjoyment. And yeah, dude, I had issues. And yeah, dude, I had like problems. And yeah, there were things I was running from and all of that. It was there. But like it was it was not like, you know, it's like the like Van Halen versus Kurt Cobain, right? Like I was Van Halen, not Kurt Cobain, right? Mm-hmm. And not not that right one's right or wrong or good or bad. It's just uh, my my outlook on this was very happy and positive and uplifting. And on, quite honestly, man, uh, I, I, once it started to get dark, and it always does eventually, then I was like, oh, hold on. This is not the path I want to walk. Like, this is not who I want to be. Like, uh, uh, you know, people are like, I always ask questions like you ask. I'm like, no, like, I had a great time with a lot of it. And, I, and I'm really happy I did a lot of it. Um, there's definitely a few specific actions I regret or I should never have messed up or whatever. But for the most part, it was super fun. A few extra shots here and there or something. You know? <laughs> right, right. right. For the most part, though, it was super fun. Um, uh, but like, look, I, there, I was definitely running from stuff and I was I was avoiding stuff. And, and I mean, I spent longer in the party life than I probably would have otherwise, except like sure. it became my job. Right, right. You know, I need more stories, um, so then, I gotta go. I gotta go party some more. Right, I, I, right exactly. And and the, and then, but then also, that's part, part of why I retired at the end of my third book or fourth book because like I didn't want to do this anymore, and I didn't want to pretend like I liked it anymore. You know, like I could have traveled the world and gone to Thailand and. Ukraine back before whatever and all these places where like all the the dirty disgusting expats would go and do horrible things and I could have written a ton of funny stories about that and I could have gone for years like that but I was like nah like like I I just realized I, it was it wasn't fun anymore you know and at some point it, it's it's it wouldn't be cool anymore i mean not just for you but if you're the 50 year old guy doing these in these same stories suddenly a lot of them just they seem sad more than more than fun yeah (laughs) that's true but there's plenty of people who are the same dude at 50 as they were at 20 snoop dogg is a really good example like he's nearly the exact same dude at 50 as he was at 20 not the same as me i get but there's plenty of people who stay stuck where they are right and they make it work for them i'm not saying it's you know necessarily the most positive thing but they do um, I could have gone down that path. I was close to it, but then I was like, man, fuck. That. I don't want, I, it's not even that it's uncool. It's that it's just like, it's, it's just like, I loved playing with GI Joes when I was 12 doing that at 22 just wouldn't make sense. Right. Same thing with like drinking and hooking up with 24 year old girls. That's awesome. At 30 at 40. Yeah. 
I don't know. And at 15, no way. The, yeah, and the G.I. Joes, you know, those those an afternoon with playing with your toys at 12 can really fulfill you. You can really feel like I did something awesome here. Same thing in your 20s right. with drinking. But, you know, at some point when you're 25, looking at the G.I. Joes, you're like, this. I'm not getting anything out of this. So maybe it's a similar thing sort of, you know, with the with yeah. I, I call it degeneracy because when I say that, I'm just talking about. I'm, I really use it more as a way to describe the time when I didn't take life that seriously, why I didn't take having a relationship yeah. seriously, when I didn't take, take having a family seriously. So that's kind of a, a broad term. Uh, I think you're, you're breaking down of those two types of people is, is a good distinction there for sure. Um, so you kind of mentioned a minute ago, like you, you saw how it could have gone down a dark path and that's when you decide to sort of retire from, from that end of things. So can you sort of detail that, whether it was a moment in time or just sort of a general direction you saw where things could have gone? What was it that made you say, all right, I'm, this was a part of my life. This got me this fame, success, whatever it may be. It certainly put me in a better position, but it's time to take a different direction. Um, man, there wasn't one moment. I, like, I wish I could be like, ah, oh, there's one moment. The, there were a couple different moments. I can remember a couple girls that I kind of hooked up with or quasi dated that like um, were into really dark stuff. And like I, like, I like to hook up with a lot of girls, but I wasn't into like, you know, whatever, abusing them or beating them or rape fantasies or, I mean, like, if a girl liked that, okay, cool, but, like, not really my thing. Um, but, like, I, I came across some girls who came to me and, for whatever reason, they had that expectation of me. And then, like, even dabbling in that a little bit, I was like, whoa, this is, like, this is a rabbit hole I don't want to go into. It's not a rabbit hole. <laughs> this is This is some other animal made this hole. And I want to stay out of this. <laughs> yeah. A rabbit's it's way too innocent to create <laughs> right. that hole. And so, like, uh, there were definitely a few women where I was like, okay. At first, I was like, ah, crazy girls. Oh, look at. But then after a while, it's like, hold on a minute. Like, when two or three or even four of them, you know, over a shorter, relatively short year, year and a half period of time, come Mm, not the girls. Does it make you think, like, yeah, why, why am I the one? Why There's am I attracting reason- these now? Yeah, there's a reason they're coming to you, right? Uh, and you may not want to realize that or accept that or believe it, but there's a reason they're coming to you. And um, uh, so, like, I had to really kind of step back and then really ask myself, is this what I want? Like, do I want to be with girls who want to be abused, essentially? Like, who want to? Like, they're coming to me for this. God, I mean, this one girl, I remember, she was upset that I didn't treat her worse. And I mean, like, in all ways. Like... <laughs> and it's not like I was treating her well, right? right? Like, it's not like this is like, I was, you know, I, I'm not a white knight, man. I was not playing that game. And uh, uh, I, I definitely was not treating her well, I thought. And she's like, you treat me so so much better than I thought you should. I was like, what? Like, so I was like, okay. Um, and like, mm, this is not, this is not the person. I, I don't want to be the person I'm going to have to be to be with these types of, of women in a relationship. Um, this is not a path I want to go down and I'm not like shitting on those girls or whatever. They've got their shit. That's fine. I don't care. Um, it's, it was about me. Right. And and so then I had to kind of, and then also, man, I just didn't want to keep going out, drinking, hooking up at some point. It's tired. You could never have convinced (laughs) 19 year old Tucker that he would have gotten tired of hooking up with random girls, but 32 year old Tucker was fucking tired of Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, it was like, okay, enough, man. Like, uh, uh, which seems breathtaking to me. Um, uh, but I really got very sick of it. And then all of it, dude, like drinking got boring, partying got boring. It was the same things over and over after a while. 
And it was like, all right, well, this is not, this is a, it was a cool phase, but this is not going to be the rest of my life. So what do I want to do now? How do I want to show up? And I had to really could do a lot of soul searching, man, and realize, yeah, like this is not, if this isn't going to be, if this isn't who I'm going to be, who am I going to be? You know? Right, right. If you're going to replace this Tucker, uh, this wild and crazy party Tucker, it has to be replaced with something. So that must have led you down, you know, I guess a little process of um, introspection or what have you. Yeah. I mean, like the once I, I like I fixed everything in my life, right? Like I got an amazing shape. Finances were dialed. You know, I was already rich and famous. Like everything was perfect. And I was still like still pretty lonely and sad and unhappy in in most ways, much better than I was, but like, it's like, you know, I, it was, it was a clean toilet, but still a toilet. Right. And it's like, all right, well, so then eventually I had to realize, well, if the problem's not outside of me, there's only one place left. It's gotta be inside. So started therapy, um, went four times a week for four years. Um, found a, it took me like 20 therapists, but I eventually found a great therapist. You know, it was a great match for me. And um, uh, she helped me a lot. Uh, but like, again, that was just talking about your emotions and talking about your problems is better than nothing, but it only takes you so far. Um, I still have a lot of emotions to feel and a lot of issues to work out. And then I eventually found psychedelic medicine. Uh, and that was like totally game changing for me, man. That was 40 years ago. I started, uh, MDMA therapy and that was like, oh man, that was the best. That was the greatest thing. It was the most important thing I've ever done in my life. And I'm like married with kids and people are always like, well, how can you say that? I'm like, well, I wouldn't be married if I hadn't found that, that medicine. And I, uh, I'd probably be a really bad father, you know? Uh, and so that's, but that. But again, it's just a tool, man. It's like it's not like you take a pill and everything's great. It's more like I found a tool that helped me face my issues and deal with them. So, how does MDMA actually work in the in the therapeutic sense? Um, the, you actually go into an office and it's administered to you, and then do you do you talk like while you're starting to become under the influence of it? Yeah, no, uh, close. So the way I, the way that I've always done it, right? Um, uh, and I worked with a couple different underground guides around the country. But you, you, you go to their office or their house or wherever, wherever you do it, and then you put on an eye shade. You take the MDMA, it's a little capsule, uh, 125 milligrams or something, 100, between 125 and like 200 milligrams. You take a capsule, uh, you put on your eye shade, you lay back on like a sofa or a little small bed thing. Um, you know, they'll play, you know, they play like, you know, they light the candles and the sage and, and they play this like great harmonious, like calming music. Um, and no, you don't talk to them. Like, like, oh, it's, uh, just, it's just doing I mean, it there. You, you are, uh, if you need to talk, like a, most of my guides, like I'll have ideas or something will pop into my head. And so like, I'll tell them so they can write it down. I have a little note and I can get it out of my head, and move to the next thing. Um, but like some people don't talk at all. Uh, and there's uh, generally speaking though, and what MDMA does is that it opens you up, it dumps all your serotonin in your brain. So you feel the most love and the safest you've ever felt in your life. And so you feel like it's this amazing feeling. But what if you're open to it, if you surrender to the medicine, you allow it to work, what ends up happening is that all the stuff you've pushed away ends up coming up, right? Because you feel safe and loved, like all of the shame or the guilt or the grief or whatever it is you've been pushing away for years and you want to feel, it comes up and you feel it. And it sucks a lot of times. Like it's not, 
it's not a super pleasant experience to deal with all the shit you've been trying to avoid for your whole life right? right? to yeah. deal with it. Sure. But what's on the other side of that is all the peace and the calm and the contentment and the happiness you've been looking for. Um, it's on the other side of dealing with your shit. And that's really what MDMA does. It helps you. And other psychedelics, uh, mushrooms, LSD, and they all work differently. But the point is they're, they're all tools to help you deal with your shit. It's such an interesting parallel because even just in my last episode, I was speaking to an, an Orthodox uh, pastor and, um, you know, he kind of just described his journey similarly that when he came closer to his religion, it's almost exactly like you're describing the MDMA. It's just, it, it sounds like a great thing, but actually it's the most suffering he's ever had because it for, because of the same reason it forces you to, to learn the true self of, of yourself. So then confronting that is a, the hardest thing you can do. And, but also the most rewarding when you get to the other side. And it's just so interesting to me that you almost have the same story just with a different tool. You know what's funny? You bring that up. So uh, I did about a year and a half in, I, I combined MDMA and LSD, which was a great mix for me. And was that on your own, on your own volition? Or was this, this in, I, I, I don't, I don't do any of this shit recreationally. I do it that's all in, in the environment of the office you're saying. Yeah. All medicinally with guides who are, you know, very experienced. And I've never actually done any of these drugs recreationally, which I don't know how people do this stuff recreationally. Like, First time I did LSD, I just cried for 12 hours. Like, I couldn't imagine being at a concert or something and taking that. Like, well, a lot know. of times you see people crying at concerts. That, that Now you know what they're they're up to. Yeah. I know. Well, uh, the so one the girl crying in the I corner, that's, that's her. Exactly. I mixed MDMA and LSD, and it was a great mix. But, like, I, you know, I've been atheist my whole life because just because nothing about religion ever made any sense to me. Like, this doesn't make sense. Clearly, like, what are you talking about, right? Um, it's just patently wrong. doesn't make sense. And then I had what can only be described as a very clear, like religious experience, an ecstatic experience. What, what we refer to as an ecstatic experience in religion, without going into all the, the details, I finally understood. Like I got the next day, one of my good, good friends is Mormon, like magic underwear tied to the church Mormon. Mm -hmm. Like he's a Mormon Mormon, uh, but a great friend uh, of mine. I called him the next day or two days later and I was like, dude. I think I understand why you believe in God now. Is it, be, is it because God to you is an experience that you're experiencing God? And that, like, that's when you say you talk to God or communicate with God. It's this ecstatic experience. And he's like, yes, I've been trying to tell you this for a decade. I'm like, bro, I thought you were stupid. <laughs> I thought you'd been fooled. I thought you were convincing yourself. Of, like, it's not something that can be conveyed by just telling, you know, you can't just write that down and someone says, Oh, okay. No, got it. Right. It, I was trying to think my way into religion when just the reality is from a purely rational, logical standpoint, religion is stupid and does not make sense. It is that just, it just doesn't. That's it. Right. That's why it requires faith. You got to just believe in spite of the evidence. That's bullshit. But once you say, once you're able to sit back and somehow feel it, then everything made sense. Now I'm not like a Mormon now. Like I still think <laughs> the religious dogma is silly, but I understand the feeling. I understand the experience of religion that he's been able to access his whole life, right? Um, and so that's why he's religious. Is you know he he puts his spirituality into this container. That's fine. I'm not going to put it into that container. I'm going to deal with it differently. But, yeah, dude, absolutely. Like, I get truly religious people who really believe that because they've experienced it. I know exactly what they're talking about. I, I fully get it. I, I am more aligned with them in terms of beliefs than, like, some atheist or some 
fundamentalist, like someone who's just like, this is what the, you know, what the rule is and that's it. I'm like, okay, well, you're just a bureaucrat for the church, man. <laughs> right, right. Like that's, the, but yeah, I get it, man. It's the experience. Has that experience sort of opened you up to exploring any particular religious path or is it really just more just made you like, okay, I'm not going to go say I'm an atheist now because I, I feel this thing, whatever it may be, even if I don't fully understand it right now. So I, I, I would call my, right now I am deeply... And I like this kind of a cliche, but you know, spiritual, but not religious, but not like the way most people not say. Not the cringe way. Um, yeah, right. Uh, at least I try not to be. For me, spirituality is, is it's hard to, man, it's hard to put it in words because it is such an experience for me. But if I had to put it in words, and this is, this is uh, you know, losing a lot of the fidelity of the experience, obviously, because you're taking the experience, putting it in words. But um, it's about... I understand now what like all the weirdo people when they talk about uh, the uh, the oneness of, of all things and source. I get it now. Like to me, God is on a physics level. You know, all things are energy, right? Like this is energy. This is like all, like uh, this table is energy. It's just slowed down and vibrating at a different wavelength. Like that's a basic finding of modern physics. Like everyone gets that. The uh, God is the system. Right. Like the like the, the, the experience is understanding that we're all energy in one system and we're all part of the same system. And I might be an eddy of energy that has an identity and, you know, that is a separate from you in that way. But, you know, like you can have two eddies in a stream. It's all still water. It's all still the same stream. That, that that's the only way I can experience or I can explain the sort of the experience that and I've had it multiple times. I don't even necessarily have to go deep and I don't have to be on the medicine anymore to at least get flashes of it. Um, uh, but yeah, dude, like totally. I'm like, I don't know any other details. I don't know. God's a man. God's a woman is sky. God. I don't know. I have no idea. That's not, I think uh, I have a feeling probably most of our petty human concerns are transcended by an all powerful energy being or whatever. Um, I'm not worried about the details on that. I'm just not. Um, uh, and it's not like I've like let go of all rationalism and reason and logic. No, of course not. If you want to, you want to use a computer, you know, your religious experience ain't going to help you. <laughs> it's like, this is all about reason. The engineering doesn't care about emotions. This is about, uh, it's a different field. So, but no, dude, I'm, I'm extremely, I, I I'm very, I'm very much down that path, but it is all experiential for me. Yeah, I think yeah. that that's kind of the key too. Is is whenever you're in a place where you're re, you're completely rejecting one of those things, if you just completely reject the the rational, the material, how to navigate around here, um, yeah, at some point you're just going to be off in woo woo land, and we're you're going to float away, and we're never we're never going to see you again. But if you're fully in the rational, then you you are, and fully in the material, um, there's always going to be something lacking. I, I think you're always going to be searching yeah, to fill absolutely. that hole, like you were. Yep. Yep, exactly. Maybe you can take me along this path and I'm not sure where this intersects with your sort of the therapy and everything, but where along the way here, did you kind of make the active decision? Like, all right, I'm not going to look at women now just as, um, just as th things to hook up with, uh, things to bring me pleasure. When, when did you actually make that active decision? Cause a lot of your writing, um, after that time is about finding a mate and a lot of the work you've done since then it is trying to sort of help young men find their right mate. So when did you in your own life kind of make that decision? Like, okay, I, I want to actually find a mate. I want to find someone to recreate, to procreate with and to live the rest of my life with. Yeah. So it, for me, it wasn't about, I, I'm going to change the way I see women. For me, I had to start with a different question. What do I want? Like I had to really start hammering 
myself on that question. And that's one of those questions that most people don't really know. That most people have never asked themselves and they don't actually know the answer to at all. And in fact, most people, if you start asking them what, what they want, get really angry and upset because they realize that they have no idea what they want. And by implication, they, they're living a life that's not theirs, that's a bunch of shit that someone else told them they were supposed to want. And then they start, like, it gets, it can get dark fast with that. And it did for me in certain ways. Um, uh, but what I eventually realized after, you know, like, I had, to, I had to drink all the drinks and fuck all the girls and get all the money before I realized that path's not going to work. It just doesn't work. If it worked, it'd be great. It'd cool, I'd probably still be on it. doesn't work. Um, so then I had to look at, well, what else, what other paths are there and what do I want? And the funny thing is I'd always assumed I would get married and have kids. Like I lo- I've loved kids. I've always wanted a family. Um, it was like, I would always joke with people. Like there's a famous St. Augustine quote, like, you know, Lord, give me chastity and continence, but not yet. You know, like that would be one of my like uh, uh, favorite, whatever, uh, 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 shot quotes or whatever. And then eventually, like once I got like, okay, this is not the path. Then I was like, okay, girlfriend, all that stuff. And But then the problem, dude, was I didn't know how to date at all. I didn't know how to have a relationship. It's I had a totally no different life. thing than hooking up. <laughs> I was totally optimized for a very different lifestyle than the one I wanted. And that was about when I, I was already in therapy at that point, man, I had to go through a whole process of like really looking at myself, like first figuring out what I want and then looking at who I was and realizing, man, if I want that amazing woman as a wife that I've been thinking of, I'm actually not the dude. Like, like, because, like, okay, because it's not that she, I'm not attractive or whatever. Of course, I can get a ton of girls, but that woman is super attractive and has a bunch of options. And why would she pick me when she can have a dude just as successful as me, but with all the bullshit, right? And the baggage, or like who who's dealt with his shit, right? And so I was like, fuck, man. So then I, I really, it was a hard pill to swallow, especially uh, like to realize, yeah, I may be doing great with a bunch of a certain type of woman, but not the type of woman I want. So then I'd do a bunch more work on myself, really kind of get to that spot. And then, you know, it's it's easy not to look at women as objects because like, like when you get famous, that's actually one of the first things that happens to you as you start as a dude, men are never objectified because no one gives a shit about us in society. We're like, when like, it doesn't seriously, you, you as a man, as just an average dude, do not matter in society. You are the lowest rung. Black, white, doesn't matter. Hispanic, dude is the lowest rung. Like young, single, anonymous dude is the lowest rung of society. And, um, and But once you get famous, like you get any fame at all, now all of a sudden it's like, you're like, oh my God, this is what it's like to be a hot girl. This is amazing. <laughs> this is what it's and like to think be it's every awesome. hot girl. <laughs> right, right. And you think it's amazing for a while, but then you realize that no one who's interacting with you is interacting with you. Because the cool part about being random, anonymous dude is that people are dealing with you as a person. Uh, but when you're famous or just well-known or high status or whatever, people are dealing with who they think you are and what they want from you. And so I had been so objectified for so long by ironically enough, by so many women, like 
90 plus percent of the women who came to me to hook up wanted to sleep with Tucker Max or get whatever. It's, it was they were objectifying me at least as much as I was objectifying them. So like I'm not not good or bad. It's the truth. And so I had deep experience with objectification <laughs> at that point. Like I got it. I knew You've what seen it, it was. from both ends. And uh, yes, very much so. And so like a lot of my therapy was a lot of my work at that time was getting like dealing with all my shit. Um, but then also learning, I, I, you know, it's funny. I thought I was letting go of a lot of the stuff uh, of fame or whatever. I come to realize at that point I wasn't not in therapy. I had to do, it wasn't until I got to psychedelics that I really got deep into that stuff and really kind of let go of that stuff. Um, but to, to meet my wife, who I'm married to now, we've been together 10 years. I had to, um, I had to stop being the other guy. I had to stop sleeping around. I had to, and not like, it's not like she gave me an ultimatum, right? It, you know, the, the, the narrative in society is so stupid. So did you meet her while you were sort of still half oh, and half? No, 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 no. See, this is the important thing. So like the narrative out there is that, uh, a bad boy stays a bad boy to he changes for the love of a good girl. That's bullshit. That never works. And it never happens. What I had to do was before I met the quote, good girl, I had to decide who I wanted to be. And then I had to go become that person first. And then not perfectly and not all the way, but just enough. Like I had to, I had to decide I'm going to go from, from one type of person to another type of person. And then I had to make like, I had to make the serious decisions about it. And then my behavior had to reflect it. It was the weirdest thing, man. It's like, I, I had to stop hooking up. I had to stop acting a certain way. I had to stop going after certain women. And as soon as like, I'm going to speak in a woo woo way. As soon as the universe uh, realized I was serious, I met my wife. It was like almost to the week that like I that I had shown I had like a couple instances of like like the old life trying to lure me back in. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not just no more random hookups. Like I deleted Tinder from my phone. It was like right when Tinder first came out. It was like, oh dude, it was it, horrible. Like it was just like it was like Uber Eats for sex it for was me. The, it was yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. It was the it was the, the worst and the best, right? Exactly. Um yes. uh, it, it, like I delete all that from my phone. Like you could skip the part where you had to go out for five, six hours to meet the chick, you know. It's like it's a right. turbo, yeah. turbo. No, no, I I'd skip that years ago. For like it, this was just like, no, no, no. Like I had to stop that lifestyle first. And then, like, like I had a few withdrawals a little bit, like, almost to, like, an addict level. But then, like, once I came out the other side, it was, like, three weeks later I met. Does that play into, I am sure it has to, in some ways, sort of your, I mean, this has happened earlier, of course, but, like, how you view sort of your, your sort of the spiritual world here and, and, and how things sometimes just work out the way they're supposed to when you're putting the right, right energy into it. Yeah, you know, that... that the idea that things uh, work out the way they're supposed to and, and, and karma and all that, of course, I thought was absolute gibberish five, six, seven, eight years ago. And now I'm like, man, I think that's a lot more right than wrong. You know, and, and I'm not going to I don't I could explain there are mechanisms through which it makes a lot of sense on a physics level. It makes a lot of sense. Um, and on a quantum level, definitely, like a lot of this, the quantum experiments of the last 10 years are crazy and actually point to some sort of mechanism like karma or, or, or in thought creating reality and all that kind of stuff. Like th there's a lot of that. I, I can just tell you, man, 
experientially over the last four years, especially um, the more I have gone, I, the more I have believed that way, the better things work, which doesn't mean it's true. It just means it works. Those are two totally different things. But the more I believe that my thoughts create my reality, that the energy I put out in the world becomes the energy I get back, that um, all of those sorts of things, um, the more I act that way. Not if I believe it and, and don't, if I'm like, oh yeah, if I believe in good things happen to me, then they will. But I act like a shithead, then that's not, that's a, a misalignment. But the more I actually act out these beliefs, um, the better things get uh, like again and again and again. And I'm, I'm open to this just being a run of good luck. It could be. <laughs> I am always open to contraindicating evidence. But for now, what you said for the most part is working for me. Yeah. I mean, and physics or or whatever, quantum physics being relating to that or not, either way, we can kind of see this just how it plays out in our real world in the experiential way. You know, like if you had met your wife five years earlier, that would have been the terrible thing. You wouldn't want to meet her then because you wouldn't have been the right person for her then. She's going to be like, Who, who's this guy? You know, I can go get somebody else. So. I, I mean, I, I can give you a counterfactual. I can think of two girls I met. Two very specific two girls I met when I was in my Tucker Max party stage where if I had met them when I met my wife, they might be my wife. So it really like it could totally be coincidence in a lot of ways. I'm not saying it, it is or it isn't like there's definitely like uh, oh, I, can, I know exactly who they are, their names. And it, it's funny, though. Yeah, you're right. If I if I met my wife even six, if I met my wife six months earlier, I wouldn't have been ready. I wouldn't have, we, 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 she wouldn't, she wasn't, you know, she's a person too. her evolution. She wouldn't have been ready either. Mm, Um, it's like we met each other at the exact right time for both of us. We were the right people for each other at the right time, right place. This is how it works. I'm curious as we kind of wrap up the main show in the next few minutes here, um, what your advice would be to, I don't know, either you could either say a young Tucker or maybe just like a, a 16, 17 year old who read, maybe read your books, maybe uh, thinks this guy seems awesome. This seems like fun. Wh- what advice would you give to them? Because I imagine speaking to you, it wouldn't necessarily be don't do that stuff. Um, but I, I'm curious if there is some wisdom you would impart to like a younger version of yourself, um, just maybe, you know, based on your own experiences and it, it, maybe in just a way that it comes to how they might want to look at life or a- approach certain things in a certain way. You know, I, I, um, I try to, I, I don't like giving advice and I, I try to avoid giving advice. Um, all I, what I try and do is tell people what's worked for me. Right. Um, and then they, they're gonna have to make up their own decisions. But uh, honestly, if there was one thing I would say that it, there's a lot of things that have worked really well for me, but if I had to pick one, it's like, okay, this is the thing I'm going to tell you about this worked for me that you'd be wise to consider. Um, it's what we talked about like 10 minutes ago, the really asking yourself what you want. Like, what do I want? I promise you, uh, I'd be shocked if even 10% of your listeners have ever asked themselves that question on any level of analysis. And like your first answer, like, oh, I'm hungry. I want lunch or I want a nice car or I, like get past all the, those aren't bullshit answers, but get past all the, the first three, four, five, six obvious answers and keep, well, why do you want that? What's that going to get you? What do you want that for? And just keep going. And, uh, man, even now, man, I, like I, I do that exercise even now. And it's kind of like, it's crazy if I really follow the thread 
a lot of times where it takes me and what I realize. You know, I cannot tell you how many times I've done the exercise and realized, oh my God, I'm busting my ass for this thing. And I don't care. Why? Mm. I don't care. Yeah. Like it was like a whole house of cards built on nothing. Because it's really easy to just find yourself doing something because you're doing it and working towards this thing that you, if you actually break it down, you didn't even want originally. You just ended up doing it. And then at some point you're just doing it because you're doing it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. 100%. I'm curious if you just maybe have, well, maybe not advice necessarily, but based on your own experiences, um, if someone is sort of thinking to themselves like, yeah, I, I have thought about this. I, I am at this that point when I do want to have a mate, I do want to change sort of my own orientation so that I'm attracting the right person. Maybe some right. of the first steps, not necessarily they should take, but that you, that you took, I guess. How about that? Yeah. I mean, like, look, the, again, the best thing. So I, I, I went through a very simple step. I figured out very clearly who, what I wanted in a mate. Like, what were my non-negotiables, right? And, and then, you know, maybe a couple like uh, would really like to have, right? And like, your list can't be longer than six, or then it's like middle school nonsense, right? right? So, like, like what are the things I have to have, and the things I'd really like to have? And then, you know, like, does that person exist? You know, because like, I can't <laughs> tell you how many times I've gone through the exercise, and and dudes, dudes or girls have fantasies in their head about about uh, um, does that person exist? And then the next question is a tough one. Would that person want to be with me? That's the one where you have to look at, really look at yourself. Mm -hmm. And then you got to, so if the answer is no, then the question that you got two ways to go. How do I make myself into the type of person that they'd want to be? Or how do I, or, or am I cool just lowering my expectations to get someone who would want to be with who I am right now? Not a right or wrong there. They're just the second they're one, yeah. I guess there's no right or wrong. The second one sounds like the horrible path to me, though. Lower lowering your standards. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's, it's an, not it's the an path option. I would want to take. It's an option. Uh, it's, it's not the path I'd want to take, but a lot of people do implicitly and unconsciously do take that path. Um, uh, I can't tell you how many dudes, dudes I know who are like, well, that's the best I could get. I was like, bro, it probably is the best of that that version of themselves could get because they probably yes, never went through 100%. this process to try to be a different person. But exactly. So um, uh, then like once, like, you know, uh, would they, uh, are they going to be into me? If the answer is yes, cool. Then go find them. Like that's the, the other thing. Like, women, especially dudes don't have this problem as much, but um, uh, women have a lot of women have this expectation that like men are supposed to find them or going to find them. Right. I, uh, probably not. You know, like uh, giving us way too much credit. <laughs> exactly. Uh, like, uh, I, I can't tell you how many f women I know who are great, awesome in so many ways and and like want a specific type of guy. But like they're just on, you know, Bumble. And I'm like, that dude is not on Bumble. Yeah. Like, like nothing wrong with Bumble. But the dude you're looking for is not on that fucking app. You have got to go get in front of him. Right. And so the basic question is. The type of person I want, where are they in the world? What are they doing? And so how do I put myself in a position where I'm going to be doing the same thing they're doing or in front of them in some way, shape or form, right? That, which is, that's like a step that like is actually breathtaking when you start thinking about it. Like when I went through that, I realized, God, there were like at least 10 things I could be doing that I like doing that my potential wife would be doing, but I'm not doing any of them. Why not? Lazy, some combination of laziness or this or that or whatever. And it, I started doing a bunch of them. And that is actually exactly how I met my wife. You know, like it, in my case, I started like, you know, I, I can lift and do exercise on my own. I don't need to go to CrossFit. 
but my my wife, my potential wife before I met her was like the type of woman she might be doing CrossFit or something like that. I didn't meet her in one of my classes. I met her because my CrossFit coach, who's a woman, trained with her because my wife was a competitive CrossFitter when I met her, and um, they trained together. And my it took uh, my coach like three six months to get to know me before she realized, all right, he's actually a really good dude, and I'd be comfortable introducing him to my hot friends. You had to sort of prove yourself in a, in a sense first to get through that next door. Hundred percent. Exactly. And she did. And now we have four kids together. Tucker, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about some of the stuff in uh, the bonus segment that we're going to hop into in just a second. But before we wrap up here, I just want to, you know, one thing I really like about your show, Tucker Mac Experiences, it really is sort of like you described here today. It's not just you lecturing people about, you know, what they should or shouldn't do. It's you relaying your own experiences, whether it's your own experiences um, with uh, with ranching, uh, with self-defense, all sorts of different topics. So I really do enjoy that. So feel free to plug away on the show itself and uh, feel free to plug away on anything else you've got coming up dude nothing I, like I, I sold my company I, like my concentration now is family ranch and the school i built is it all right well that being said, you can still go and find all of Tucker's uh, old books, I'm sure, over at his, his website or what have you, and listen to the Tucker Back Experiences. I really do enjoy that show. So, Tucker, thanks so much for coming on. I really do appreciate it. And, of course, thanks for coming on my show. Thanks, man. All right, kiddos, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Tucker Max. I certainly did. And that conversation kept going. It kept going deeper. We went deeper in the smoke-filled room bonus segment available for the low, low, low fee of $8 a month. That's right. It is a low fee, to be honest with you. With inflation nowadays, my God, that's less than two bucks an episode. You get a 90-minute version of every episode of The Mark Claire Show. Every single guest stays an extra 30 minutes with me, or more in some cases, uh, to dive deeper in the smoke-filled room. And we did that again with Tucker Max. We went really deeper into his experience with uh, MDMA and acid and what that experience was actually like for him. And we got further into uh, sort of the building of his relationship, his marriage, his current homesteading life, um, how he ended up as a a sheep herder in Texas uh, from from all of this. So uh, it's a really fascinating conversation. I really want to encourage you to check it out. Uh, available on Patreon, Rockfin, Subscribestar as well. Still waiting for my first Subscribestar, guys, but a bunch of you are, are up on Patreon, bunch of you on Rockfin, and I'm so incredibly grateful uh, for everybody that has joined me on this uh, little little journey, even though that word is a little cringe. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Uh, on this little journey here known as the Mark Claire Show. Got another great episode for you next week. Got a fellow by the name of David Patrick Harry from the Church of the Eternal Logos YouTube channel. We'll be talking about whether you can explain God to an atheist. So we shall see. Uh, That being said, it's been a pleasure. As always, don't forget our sponsors, Fox and Sons, foxandsons.com. Use discount code 15%. Discount code 15%. Use discount code MZS to get 15% off your order. Until next time, my friends, in case I don't see you till then, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. (laughs) 